some time ago, my friend Mike called me and said, Steve, I have a message for you. You have to make a podcast. It's very important. Do it now. And I said, okay, I will. Can you provide me with extra time to do that during my busy schedule? He said he couldn't do that. But then I managed to free up some time. So here's my podcast, Audio Chimera. Episode number 12, Race Riots in York, 1969. A friend of ours, we got her and her divorce, had been cleaning out some old files and sent a large pile of papers to us. Included in the ream of, yes, dot matrix printed documents was, most notably, a play of mine called 2020, The Year of Perfect Vision. I wrote it, basing it on my college friends, having imagined what life would be like some 35 years into the future. On rereading it, I can't fail to be amused at some of the jokes, like how Mick Jagger is starting to slow down a bit on their latest farewell tour, and this dialogue. You told me years ago that the two-party system was dead. It still is. Another item in the box was an article entitled Dog Days in York. A lengthy journalistic piece written by Greg Walter and published in Philadelphia Magazine in December 1969, it tells of the York race riots in that year, which did some pretty nasty things to the collective psyche of the town. I recall years later speaking to a nurse in York Hospital where my mother was having a procedure done. The nurse, who seemed quite the caring type, admitted that she carried a pistol in her car, hidden under her driver's seat, for protection, a consequence of living through those events in the summer of 69. The ripple effects of that summer were still being felt decades later. It's not at all surprising that such civil unrest disturbed that south-central Pennsylvania town, but that it took so long to happen. We would joke that York was always behind the times with ideas and fashions, and so it was with this. 1967 and 1968 had seen a variety of riots break out in various U.S. cities, and then the same came to York in 1969. I have a number of recollections from that summer. One of them I detailed in my memoir, Immaculate Misconceptions, recalling Neil Armstrong's walk on the moon and how I watched the TV while lying on the floor, since the living room windows faced Penn Park, the site of many gatherings and confrontations. As I watched Neil Armstrong... That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I heard gunshots outside, and thought that, at any moment, bullets might be coming through the glass. A few days earlier, my mother aunt and I had been sitting on lawn chairs next door on the neighbor's concrete yard that faced Lindbergh Avenue. Future dwellers in that house would use it to park their cars off the street, but the Metzlers used it as an empty space, as a place to hang laundry to dry, and as a location for several garden containers. As we sat there in the evening, we noticed a lot of figures assembling at the bandstand in the center of Penn Park. Some then broke off from the main group and moved to the small house used by police at the turn of the century. We heard glass breaking and then saw flames appear as someone set the interior of the building on fire. We hastily gathered up our chairs and got inside. And so mounting racial tensions finally exploded into violence. White gangs were clashing with black gangs. 
White policemen shouted, white power, while giving ammunition to the white gangs. Things came to a head when a white police officer was shot and later died, and several days later a black woman visiting from South Carolina was shot and killed in a hail of bullets. York was declared a disaster area and the National Guard was brought in. I've never lived in a war zone, but I never take that fact for granted. When one sees armored troop carriers rolling up one street on a regular basis, it's hard to just dismiss that feeling of suddenly being in a police state. In one of my final days in Berkeley, right before moving back east, my wife and I attended a performance of the San Francisco Mime Troupe. In that park, we shared the liberal and progressive atmosphere of the politically oriented troupe and its hundreds of spectators. Then as we drove back home, we passed a large set of riot police, yes, a frequent sight on the streets of Berkeley, mounting their motorcycles and peeling off, one by one, to attend to some business elsewhere in the city. The yin and yang of the situation was unmistakable. While there is no humor to be found in the race riots themselves, there is one slightly funny moment related to the National Guard troop carriers. Yorkers have always been an oddly curious lot. When growing up, I always noted how people would stop and stare at passing emergency vehicles. They would hear the siren, stop, turn, and watch the ambulance or fire trucks pass. And then they would resume their original course. The same was true of airplanes. Hearing an engine overhead, they would pause and watch it fly over. The oddest manifestation of this occurred years later when my mother was living in a senior citizen high-rise. For security purposes, the building was fitted with cameras in the front and back entrances. To monitor all comings and goings, a resident with a cable subscription could tune to a particular channel I think it was number seven, and see the front door for about seven seconds, and then the back door for seven seconds. Repeat, ad infinitum. I referred to this as the door channel, and as my mother grew older and her world shrank further and became smaller, she began to watch little else on TV other than the door channel. And she would complain that when paramedics would be taking someone out on a gurney, they would take them out feet first, and she could never see their faces. I once set her VCR to record the door channel at some random times and was amused to watch the elderly security guards going about their business. One of them was always writing stuff down, and I decided he was probably writing his memoirs, which I then captured in a short story called Security Noir, found in my collection Butt Cracks and Willful Ignorance, available in Smashwords. But I digress wildly from my slightly funny moment from 1969. My Aunt Vic, hearing the rumbling of one of the troop carriers coming down the street, decided she wanted to get a better look. Attached to our first-floor apartment was a largish enclosed porch, which we called the indoor yard. It served as a storage area and also as a convenient and cooler place to sit in the summer if it was raining outside. Since it was adjacent to the neighbor's yards, in the summer crickets liked to come and serenade us, and my mother thinking crickets were actually noisy cockroaches, would go out and spray them with raid and beat the hell out of them with a fly swatter. If the killing of crickets is indeed bad luck, my mother was in the process of storing up a lot of bad karma. Anyway, hearing the sound of an approaching vehicle, Aunt Vic hurried out to the wooden door at the front of the house and popped open the door to see what she could see. 
And what that was was several National Guardsmen sitting in the open troop carrier, rifles at the ready, snapped their heads to find the cause of that movement at the door. Fortunately, they did not shoot first and confirm their target later. So many other cause-and-effect moments and bad consequences that summer, I was glad her shooting death was not added to that list. The situation calmed down after a few days, but as I said earlier, things were never the same. And I understand that such a blow to a town's psyche and the psyche of the people who live there would be hard to escape. And yet, I have a thought about changing attitudes. I recall attending a Chinese New Year's parade years later in San Francisco and marveling at the multicultural nature of the proceedings. Each car of local politicians held someone of a different ethnic origin. So used to growing up in all-white neighborhoods and then seeing things change, and being told that that change was bad, that had prevented me from seeing diversity as a positive thing. Yet in spite of growing up in a racist town and hearing so many racist comments, especially on holidays, and weren't those fun hearing the N-word bandied about, I find that one can get past those outmoded ideas. You just have to look at people as individuals, see each one as a person, and then realize that, when you put them together, they're not a gang out to get you, but instead are human beings just like you and just like me. Anything you want to hear more about from this podcast? I can elaborate. Just send your request to stephentrum at musifier.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N S-C-H-R-U-M at musifier, M-U-S-O-F-Y-R.com or leave a message at 724-835-4074 and I'll see what I can do. I receive no cash for products I mentioned, but please feel free to throw money at me to advertise here. For more information on my works, check out my website, musifier.com. For written works, search for me on Smashwords as Stephen Schramm or Musifier, or find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. This is Stephen Schramm. Thanks for listening to Audio Chimera.